This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Welcome, everybody, and uh, welcome all our Torah Anytime viewers. So tonight, Bezrat Hashem, oh, we are learning, Leilu Nishmat Avraham ben Chaim Yehuda and Yechezkel ben Avraham. Now, the, there was many questions that came, uh, that I've gotten, which sort of pushed me to do this, to- this topic a little bit earlier than I intended to it, just to clarify. And that is that we've been discussing this concept of emunah and bitachon, and really this concept of like Think of it like divine providence. That God is overseeing everything. God is in control of everything, and God is manipulating everything. So when you're dealing with a situation where, let's say, I made a mistake, so now you have here that everything's from God, but on the hand, you know, I made a mistake. So when I make a mistake, is that from God or is that my fault? So it's a very, very important question. We're actually gonna we're gonna, we're gonna delve into this question in a much of a much deeper much deeper manner. But the to, in order to understand this, there's a Gemara in Chulim, page seven B, that says that said, "En adam no A person doesn't even bang his finger like like a finger from below. Only if they decree it up above that he should bang his finger, then his finger will be will will, will get hurt, or whatever the situation will be. So we have over here a, a concept that everything is from God. On the other hand, we have a very famous pasuk in Devarim, chapter four, verse fifteen. You have to go and guard yourself. You have to be careful. So the question that you should ask and be like, wait a minute, why do I have to watch myself? Why do I have to guard myself if everything is from God? If everything's from God, I can do whatever I want. Doesn't matter. I can fly off a building. If I'm not supposed to die, I'm not supposed to die. If it's not all in God's hands, so then you know each each sort of statement con- like a little bit contradicts itself. So the problem here that we can really break it up into three sections. Number one is this problem came from God. So if this problem came from God, then fine. Then we know called the called Everything that God does is for the best, and that's for the best. It's not in your control. When it's not in your control, that's directly from God. That's an easy way to go through emunah and bitachon. However, you have you have category number two, and category number two is if let's say somebody else hurt you. So if somebody else hurt you, is that from God? Because this person has free will, and if this person has free will, so uh, they could they could hurt me, you know, as well. That's category number two. Category number three is when you hurt yourself and when you damage yourself and when you damage yourself when you're negligent when you make a mistake when you mess up this could be in two different you know sections subcategories you could physically you know hurt yourself by mean physically means in the physical world meaning that let's say you you are negligent and you lost money so now the question that you have to ask did God want me to lose this money or is it my own free will that I wasn't careful and because of that I lost my money that's the physical aspect the spiritual aspect is God forbid someone made a sin and then they could say, did God want me to make this sin? Or did God not want me to make this sin? So you have here these two, the, these, the spiritual and the physical that you have to deal with. So now, Bezat Hashem today, the focus that I want to do today is where you go and you are negligent and you hurt yourself. God will, I, and this is what I was telling you before we started, is that there's, we split it up into two categories. So one category is going to be your own damage that you did, your own negligence that you did to yourself. Category number two, Bezat Hashem next week will be with somebody else was negligent or somebody else hurt you, is that from, you know, in a divine, you know, providence, is that, is that, is that from God? So, today, Bizarre Hashem, we're going to be speaking about when you mess up yourself. Is that from God or you're just messed up yourself and God had no intended of you losing the money, it was just because you aren't careful. So, when, when you're dealing with the, the concept of you're having your own problems, you're making a mistake and you're, you're losing out, you're suffering the cause for you, there's also another subcategories, two categories over here. And that is one of them is that you did it on purpose. Some people purposely hurt themselves. And another category is that you did it by mistake. And both of those categories we want to discuss. So let's first discuss the category where you hurt yourself on purpose. Um, and this, by the way, goes through so many different, uh, you know, angles where people go and they wallow in their own misery and they cause themselves more suffering, where people go and they physically hurt themselves. They physically, you know, give themselves pain. You have people where they, you know, they go and they, you know, put themselves in a situation that they want to get hurt. So let's deal with the, the purpose one first. There was a famous, famous tzaddik by the name of Rabbi Zusha from Anapoli. And he was extremely, extremely poor. And he had to marry off his daughter. 
So he goes over to his rabbi, Rav Dov Ber, who's the Maggid of Mizrich, and he goes over to him and says, Rabbi, I need to marry off my daughter. So the, his rabbi goes, quickly gives, uh, you know, takes out, you know, money, and he had 300 rubles on him, and he gives it to his pupil, which is also a rabbi in himself, Reb Zusha. And Reb Zusha takes this money, and he starts making his way back to his hometown uh, to start making arrangements to marry off his daughter. As he's passing by this town, as this particular town, he hears, you know, this tiny, you know, small little hut. There's there's uh, the sound of like bitter crying coming from inside this this little hut, and he goes over to the nearby people and says, you know, what's going on with this with this house? What's going on with this hut? You know, is, is everything okay? And they're like, you don't know. It's a you know terrible situation. It's a town that didn't have so much money. And there was a poor widow. And this poor widow saved up 300 rubles. And uh, she went, and right before the chupa, she lost all the money. And because she lost all the money, she was not able to go and continue with the wedding. She couldn't pay the bills. And she's sitting over there. The wedding is supposed to happen that day. And she can't go and she can't continue. So she's sitting over there. She can't marry off her daughter. She's sitting and crying. So Reb Zusha thinks for a second. And he says, you know, 300 rubles. It's exactly what, I, what he had on him. He knocks on the door. This woman with drenched in tears opens up and she's like, you know, what, can I help you? And he's like, I heard you lost, uh, you lost 300 rubles. And she's like, yeah. And he's like, can you tell me, you know, did it have any distinguishing marks on it? And she goes and she says, you know, I had a certain amount of tens, I had a certain amount of twenties, I had a certain amount of fifties. She gave him each of the denominations exactly how much I had and it was tied around with a red string. And he's like, what? I found that. I found that money. And she's like, she's like, are you kidding me? Really? She's, he's like, yeah. He's like, he's like, let me go back to the inn. As he's traveling through the towns, he stayed by certain inns. He's like, let me go back to the inn and give you, and bring you the money. He runs back to the inn. Now he had the money on him, but he runs back to the inn and he goes to the inn and he, he goes and he changes the money for the denominations that, that this woman said that she had, the, the widow that she had. So, he goes and he changes it for the 50s, for the 10s, for the 20s, exactly. He finds a red string, he ties it around, puts it in a bag, and goes back to this old woman, to this, to this widow. He goes to this widow and he says, here's your money. And he gives her the money and he says, by the way, I took 20, you know, 20 ruble. This is for my, you know, finder's fee. This is for my troubles. That's my, that's my payment. And she's like, what? Are you kidding me? He's, she's like, you're stealing from a poor widow? You're stealing from someone who has nothing? And he was adamant. He's like, I'm not budging. He says, this belongs to me. I earned it. I, after all, I found you. I gave you 280 rubles. Shouldn't you be happy? And she was screaming, how dare you? How can you do it? People started hearing it. People started gathering around. What are you doing to this widow? And when they find out that he doesn't want to return that last 20 rubles, they get so upset. It's just like, come on. She's a, she's a widow. She has nothing. Why do you got to do that? And he says, no, this is my reward. I'm not budging. They go, they call the rabbi. The rabbi, you know, hears both sides and the rabbi issues a, you know, a decree. You must go and you must give the widow the money. And, uh, he says, no, uh, you know, I'm not giving it. So there was a young man nearby. He put his hands into Abzusha's pocket. He pulled out the 20 ruble and he, and, and then he gave it to the widow. And then they went, the, the few people in town went, picked up Abzusha and threw him out of town, like physically threw him out of town. And that was the end of that story. Many months go by and the village rabbi, encountered Rav Dov Ber of Mizrich, the this Rav Zusha's Rebbe. And he goes over to him and says, you know, it's a very interesting story that happened. There was a guy that traveled here by the name of Rav Zusha, and he traveled through town, and there was a, he gives him the whole story with the 300 ruble and the, all the, the whole ordeal. And the Magad over here goes and he hears the story. He says, you have to go right away, find Rav Zusha and beg him for forgiveness. And the rabbi says, what do I have to forgive him for? And, he's, and the rabbi goes and says, I'm the one who gave Reb Zusha the money. I gave him 300 ruble. He didn't, he didn't find that. That was, I gave it to him so he could go and he could marry off his daughter. But he probably didn't want any honor. So he, uh, to try to avoid it at all costs, he went and he'd rather been, been, you know, ashamed and kicked out of the village than get any honor for this mitzvah. So this rabbi went and traveled to Reb Zusha's home and he begged him for forgiveness. He says, Rabbi, I didn't know what you did. I'm so sorry. You know, had I known, of course I wouldn't have, you know, made a big deal about it. And the rabbi said, Reb Zusha says, no, 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 you don't need my forgiveness. I was never angry with you. I did not hold my honor high. I don't have a grudge. But one thing, he says, I'll forgive you completely, but you have to promise never to reveal the truth to the widow. Never reveal to her that it was my money, it wasn't hers. So he said, fine, and they went their separate ways. A short while later, the Magid, which is Reb Zusha's rabbi, went over to him, and, and, he, and you know they met up, and he said, you know, why did you do that? Why did you do it that way? So Reb Zusha goes, and he says, you know, I saw the poor orphan bride. I saw the poor widow 
And my compassion was so overwhelming for them. I just wanted to give them the money. I wanted to do it right away. But as I was thinking that I'm going to give them the money, all of a sudden my evil inclination, my Yitzhah goes and says, Ah, Zusha, ah, you're going to be such a great tzaddik. Look at you. You're going to go and you're going to give it. There's going to be no one greater than you. Can you believe it? You went and you borrowed 300 rubles just for your daughter. You got it as a gift from your rabbi. And not only did you not go and, and marry off, you gave it to this, or to this, to this poor widow. Like how much of a righteous person are you? And the evil inclination kept boosting up my ego. And I went to the evil inclination. I'd be like, oh, really? <laughs> you want to mess with me? I will show you that I'm going to give them the money and they're going to kick me out. I'm going to get zero honor from it. So we see over here from the story something very interesting. First of all, a lesson that you have to learn from the story is how important it is to give people the benefit of the doubt. How many times does someone go and it appears as if they're hurting you? And really, what they're really doing behind the scenes is they're helping you out. They're really helping you out and you just see it as, as a pain and as a suffering. The next time that God forbid something happens to you that's not the best, stop for a second. I think maybe there is more that lies in this situation. Maybe there's more. Maybe we should start giving people the benefit of the doubt. Look at this widow. If she would have known that Rabzusha gave her out of his own pocket 280 rubles, you think she would have argued for the, for the 20 rubles? You think she would have screamed at him? She would have been, you know, singing his praises. So with that story, we have to think about it for a second. Rabzusha, the question that we have to now ask here, he went through ter- terrible suffering. He was physically thrown out of town. Did God decree him to be thrown out of town? Or did he bring that upon himself? And, and in fact, we see over here that there are many times that people bring suffering upon themselves. So let's put a general rule out there. Generally, a person should not bring suffering upon themselves. In our day and age. Righteous people, different level. Where do we see that it's very, you know, common when people go and they put suffering upon themselves? We know this is especially at Kabbalah. There is different tikkunim. There's different fasts. Let's say somebody goes and he's fasting 84 fasts for a certain sin that he did. So it wasn't decreed that he should go and he should not be able to eat food for the next 84 days. But rather, he had a decree that he would have food. But now he's bringing the fast upon himself. He's bringing the suffering upon himself. This suffering is an atonement. It's a kapara. It's a tikkun that he's going through. So... There is an aspect that you're able to go and you're able to bring suffering upon yourself and that suffering is something that is a tikkun. It's, it's actually for your benefit. But the general rule is we don't bring suffering upon ourselves. And if you are on a level that you're going and you want to do certain tikkunim, you want to bring certain suffering upon yourself for whatever reason, under the supervision of a competent rabbi, that may be appropriate and the rabbi will, will guide you in it. But generally speaking... We don't put suffering, we don't put more difficulties upon ourselves that we don't need to. Again, unless it's a tikkun, unless it's a kapara, unless it's certain things, and that's under the direction of the rabbi. So now, that's dealing when you're doing something for yourself on purpose. It's needless to say that you should not hurt yourself for no purpose whatsoever. Where people go and they just, uh, you know, physically go and they, uh, and they uh, give themselves pain, or they go and they put themselves in a situation where they will be hurt, whether it's financially, emotionally, intellectually, or whatever the, the matter may be. And obviously you're not supposed to be doing that. This is the only case where you can go and you could say that, you know, there might be some benefit and there is a way to do it, but that's, again, the direction of a, uh, under the supervision of a rabbi and how and what exactly to do. So that's dealing with on purpose. Now, the bulk of the discussion is really is really what happens when it's not on purpose, when it's a mistake. You're going and you're going about in your way. You want only the best for yourself, right? As everybody does. And, you know, unfortunately, you do something over here, you do something over there, and you make a mistake. And because of that, you go through suffering, whether it's money, whether it's marriage, whatever, whatever the issue is. What is that? Is that from God or is that your fault? So... I want to share with you something from Rabbi Victor Miller. So Rabbi Victor Miller speaks about suffering. We know that there's 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 many functions for suffering, but if we could put it into two, we could you know we could put it into top two. Number one, you have a suffering could either be a tikkun, a kapara, like we spoke about, and then there's another aspect of suffering, and that is where you need to learn. God is sort of teaching you something. So. The, the idea to understand this is is a person has his own choice. You, you have your own free will. And if you go and you use your own, uh, you know, foolish behavior to go and do something bad, and because of that bad, you get hurt, don't go blaming God for that. That was your fault. If somebody goes and eats too much, and then they get unhealthy and they say, oh, you know, God wanted this to happen. No, no, no. You, brought, you, you could bring this bad upon yourself. Then Mesirat Yishalim goes, and says, then when a person is careless with his own safety, 
that very thing that he's careless with, that he's negligent with, that God will punish him. Why? In order to teach him. In order to teach him that he shouldn't go and do that. We know that the 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 the, the aspect of of guarding your your health is so important that if someone's sick, you know, dangerous on Shabbat, uh, you know, and it's you're going through a dangerous situation on Shabbat, we we Shabbat, we break Shabbat in order to to save his life. Pekuach nefesh is the most important thing. But if let's say a person is careless, then God says Rabbi Victor Miller will cause a thing to happen to him in order to teach him not to be careless. So which means is carelessness is not a matter of bitachon. It's a matter of understanding the ways of God. If there is a pandemic going around and you're not being careful you can't say, I have a munah bitachon in God. No, no, no. That's being careless. That's something else. The Pasuk in Mishlei, chapter 19, verse 3, says, Meaning, the translation is, a man's own foolishness makes his way unfortunate. Like, he causes his own problems to himself. Yet what? He's angry at God. He causes problems to himself. And who's he angry? It's God's fault. It's always God's fault. And God says, wait a minute. Why is it my fault? Why are you angry at me? It's your fault. You're the one who did this. You have a free will. You are a, if someone goes, drinks alcohol, goes and drives and gets pulled over, God forget to get a car accident. Don't start crying. Why do bad things happen to good people? You brought this upon yourself. If someone goes and jumps off a roof because he wants to get a good recording, I'm saying like this, look how old I am. Now it's like this. You got to hold your phone, right? And it used to be like this. So he, he wants to go and gets, get, get a, a good video and he jumps and he falls down and he breaks his foot you know you say oh god wanted me to break up no you're you're an idiot you're like you jump like who does that why are you doing that and you're doing that so you could cause problems to yourself says Rabbi Victor Miller when Yosef's brothers saw that the ruler of Mitzrayim wanted to go and make them slaves you know what they said they said oh Hashem has found our sin God has found our sins meaning they were blaming God for their problems but in truth the Gemara says what happened to them was because Yosef was sold to Mitzrayim by their own hands they themselves were part of that problem they themselves caused that issue so we see over here that you could bring yourself into a situation that wasn't initially attended for and then we have to go and figure out, you know, think about like, when let's say somebody puts himself in a situation, some people get into a situation that is so difficult that they can't get out. And the question that is often asked is, can somebody be tested beyond their means? Like be te- the, the obvious explanation to the, the obvious, uh, you know, um, concept to this is suicide. Can somebody be brought to a situation where they, it's beyond their ca- capability to cope with this and they're led to depression, led to suicide and it's not, the, it's, it's, it's be, a test that they cannot pass. So, and this is something that Victor Miller says. He goes and says that, you know, it, it's very possible, this is all, I, I, I'm not saying this myself, I'm saying off of Victor Miller. It, it's very possible that this person committed suicide on his own free will or on her own free will and he said that's, that's a very big sin. He said in most cases happens to be they're, they're, they're sick there's a chemical imbalance. They're emotionally sick. They're not healthy. And they're not necessarily bad people. They're just, there's an imbalance and, you know, so, you know, things that, that, that ended up happening. But he goes on and he says, Rabbi Victor Miller, that it's very possible that even then, it may be the result of their misbehavior that brought them into a situation of, of no return. So in order to understand this, let's say someone goes and gets married. And, um, you know, this person goes and gets married and, you know, he's used to living his life a certain way. And his, you know, his wife is also used to living her life a certain way. But now what happens is when you put two people together, you have to learn how to get along with a different person. And let's say they don't want to learn how to get along. Each one is very stubborn in exactly the way that they want to. So it begins at a very small strain. Eventually, over time, becomes a huge strain and it could lead to like a nervous breakdown or divorce or whatever it is. It could lead to a nervous breakdown and be like, I can't, I can't deal with this anymore. That's why sometimes, you know, you go and you, you, the people that, you know, that literally can't cope, you see the wife, you know, it's very cute. You see the, like these old couples, right, in the supermarket. And the guy is, you know, uh, pushing the cart in the behind and the woman is like way up front and he, he, you know, he's like, Harold, you know, go put some pineapple. And, you know, you hear him mumbling on his breath and it's like, she's telling me to put a pineapple off to her what to do. You know, like he's, his coping method is he's like talking to himself. He's like coping himself and you hear, you see this, it's like, a, it, it's cute. I mean, it's sad. It's like a sad, cute thing. So if somebody doesn't learn how to get along, eventually what happens is the string gets bigger and bigger until they, they snap. They, they, if they don't fix it, they snap. Somebody is accustomed to, to a high lifestyle and they can't maintain it. They, you know, God didn't give them that level of panasa yet. So they put a strain on their mind and that could break on it. It could cause somebody to go and mentally break down. Now, who caused that? Was it God that caused that? Or was it a fact that you put yourself into a situation where you shouldn't have put yourself? 
the concept of health. We have to be very healthy. We have to eat healthy. We have to sleep enough. We have to, you know, do a, at least a little bit of exercise to move around a little bit. When someone's careless of their health, there, you know, it, it affects the mind, and the mind can, you know, if, if you don't be careful, it could, it could snap. You don't sleep for a few days, you know, you're not, you're not functioning. You could, you could snap. You have people that gamble. People, you know, in every aspect in life, someone goes into, in, you know, in whether it gambles, you know, money literally gambling or gambles it in business in a not smart, safe way, and they go and they end up putting themselves to a point of no return, and they they snap. Now, it's very possible. That all this problem was caused by you. wasn't wasn't intended. God didn't have it, you know, intended plan for going and you having a certain, uh, you know, a certain uh, a situation where you put yourself into. So it says Rabbi Victor Miller, there is a there's the, the point of here of, of of understanding this is that there is possible that a great deal. This is the words of Rabbi Victor Miller of mental illness can be a result of the person's own problem. Look how, it's a very scary thought. We have power. We have power of what we do. We have power on how we cope. We have to really take this into consideration. So that being said, because we touched this, we have to, we have to ask a very important question. Being that a person has the ability to go and cause problems on, on himself, we have to ask the question, can a person die before his time? Can a person die early? Now, you know, let's say someone's intending to live 120 years. Can that person go and die at the age of uh, 105? So the Gemara Bavakama, page sixty B, speaks about that. You know, when a plague comes into a certain town. So the the and this is also brought down. The Rama brings us down um, that if there's a plague that comes to town. So in the beginning of the plague, then what you should do is leave. But let's say the plague settles in and it's all over. It's like settled in. It didn't start yet. It's like settled in. Everybody's in lockdown. That, the, what, the, what, what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to remain in the city. You don't run out, but you remain indoors. Ask Rashbash. Ask the Rashbash, the son of the Tashbets. He goes and asks a question. He says, how does it help if this person will go and run away? If it wasn't described in Rosh Hashanah that this person will die from this plague, let this guy run to Australia, let him run to Israel, let him run all over the world, it doesn't matter. If it was inscribed on Rosh Hashanah that he should die, then he will die. If it wasn't inscribed, let him go and walk straight through the plague. What's the difference? Nothing's going to happen to him. So the Rashbash answered that death is technically possible before their time. How? If somebody puts himself in a dangerous situation. If somebody doesn't take proper precaution, then they could they could result in, you know... A early, uh, early death. Now, I, I do need to, you know, it, it's, it was very difficult for me to try to figure out how to say it. And I hope, and I, and I pray to God that, that I can explain this the right way. You know, people, if someone passed away, you don't go and think, okay, you know what? If I would have done this and if I would have done that, that's what should have happened. Generally speaking, as long as you did the regular Hishtadlut, then you don't have to go and start worrying that, okay, maybe they died. If you did the regular, the basic Ishtadu, the normal, normal thing that you need to do, you, that's it. It was that person's time. You know, people go, especially after the coronavirus, oh, maybe if we didn't put him into the hospital, then he would have lived. Maybe if we did put him into the hospital, he would have lived. People are second guessing. You have to do the best response. I'm talking about cases right now. If you decide that you're going to go skydiving without a parachute and, and just an umbrella or whatever it is, and that's how it's going to save you. You know, like I'm talking about a place where you're putting yourself negligent. I don't want anybody, God forbid, to get from this and be like, you know what? If, you know, there was a little boy that unfortunately ran into the street, got hit by a car. So maybe if the mother would have bought, no, no, no. In those situations, you don't blame yourself. You don't blame yourself. It was that person's time. I'm talking about the situation where somebody goes and puts himself, uh, in, in, in a negligent situation that it's possible for someone to, to die, uh, early. I hope, I hope that this makes sense. The Ramchal in Misilat Yisraelim, the ninth chapter goes, and he says that there is appropriate fear and there's foolish fear. So, the when when one chooses not to be guided by wisdom and they expose themselves to dangers, that's not trust. That's not emuna. That's something called recklessness. That's something called stupidity. That's not what you should be doing. So there is a fine line between. It's actually a thick line. It's not so fine. It's a, it's a it's it's pretty obvious. You know what you should do and what you should do shouldn't do. Don't put yourself in a situation. Situation you'll be like you know what. Let me go and wear the Israeli flag and, uh, you know, walk into the, one of the Palestinian, you know, territories and be, you know, be like Israel, Israel only, you know, like that's not a smart thing to do, right? Uh, you, you know, you, you don't want to go and walk into, um, 
Harlem and start preaching about whatever it is that you're going to be preaching from a, you know, from a perspective and be like, you know, my holy brothers and then say a bunch of things that they're not going to like and be like, well, you know what? I got God on my side. So God will protect me. Like, don't do something, uh, that's suicidal and, uh, you know, idiotic. So now that we have hopefully that, that concept fairly clearly, how do you deal with accepting? Like, what do you deal with post that situation? So let's say somebody was negligent. And now what? Like now, how do we go and, and try to understand it or deal with it or, or cope with that? So with that, we have to go back to what we spoke about last week with Yosef. Yosef, how did he cope with this situation? He went and he was sold by his own brothers to Arabs. And when he was going to be sold to his brothers, he, he begged to his brothers, please, please help me. Please don't do it. He pleaded desperately with his brothers. But once they sold him, once the deed was done already, you don't hear him complaining anymore. You don't hear, you know, him have any, any, you know, um, misery, no protest. He accepted his fate. He had, there was no signs that he was upset. So, and, and we explained last week, how do we know that he wasn't upset? The fact that he was able to smell the spices, the fact that he was able to go and comprehend that there's, oh, there's something good. That means that he must have been in a peaceful state. If somebody just suffered a loss or just suffered a severe, you know, you know, terrible situation, they're not going to be like, you know what, um, something smells nice over here. You don't even, it doesn't even register. In order for you to register certain things, your, your senses has, you have to be calm. You have to be at a calm perspective and then you could appreciate certain things and you could, you know, uh, smell certain things if you're going and you're, uh, let's say, traveling on the road. And there's beautiful scenery, beautiful. And, you know, when you're going, and if you're so, your mind is so preoccupied with troubles and problems, you're never going to see that. Even if you're sitting and looking at it, you're looking at it, you're still not going to be able to appreciate it. But if you're calm and you're relaxed, then you're able to appreciate the surroundings. You're able to, oh, your, your senses are opened up. So Yosef, if he was able to smell the smell of the spices that the Arabs were selling, that, that means that he was at a calm, a calm, you know, a calm state. So meaning that, how did, what was Yosef's way of coping it? That, when he had ability to do something, he did it. He tried. He did his shtanut. He did whatever it is that he could. He begged his brothers, please don't do this. The second that he did it, he's like, okay, this is from God. He had an acceptance upon it that it was done. The deed was done. And it's interesting. The deed was done. And how, why was he sold? He was sold because of the way Yosef acted. It was his, you know, it was his uh, way of acting that caused the brothers to go and sell it. So he could have been and be like, you know what? I shouldn't have said that way. Maybe I shouldn't have done this. Maybe I shouldn't have done that. But no, he did whatever he could when he was able to do it. But the second that the deed was done, he's like, okay, this is what God wants and this is what I, you know, this is what I accepted. And this is a very, very, very important concept that we have to do our hishtadut. We have to do our effort. That is all that is accepted, that, that is expe- expected. I'm sorry. Now, this is very common also with marriages where people go and get married and they say, did I marry the right person? Maybe I married the wrong person. And it also works in the dating world. Maybe I should have married that person. You know, before they're married yet. Oh, I should have said yes to this. I should have said yes to that. You know, people feel like, oh, I could have married so many people already. So there is an aspect, yes, that you are able to lose a shidduch. There is an aspect that you could cause yourself. But generally speaking, generally speaking, um, you generally don't. As long as you're doing everything more or less normal. However, what about with the marriage? So let's say someone's in a marriage and be like, you know what? Maybe I married the wrong person. The, the answer is that God is the one that orchestrates everything. God put you in a certain circumstances. God, God is Mishadech Zivugim. God is the one that's doing it. And he's, he's pointing all the dots together and setting you with you and setting, and putting all the pieces together. That's what God does all the time, constantly. Obviously, God is overseeing everything, but specifically, God is Mishadech Zivugim. God is making Shiduchim. So if you got married to your spouse, just know that was the right person. That was the right person. This is, you had a woman that went and asked this to a rabbi, said, how do I know the right, the, you know, I married the right man? And the rabbi answered is that, you know, you might think now you've made a dumb decision and you made a, you know, a decision that you shouldn't have done. But you should know that God put you in that circumstance and He made, He put you in a situation that you would say yes to, you know, to, to your husband. There are certain people that, let's say they date so long and, you know, they just sort of like get married. I'm not saying that's the right thing to do, but if you got under the chupa, you should know that you are supposed to go under the chupa. And that's the thought process that you should have. You should not have any other thought process. After whatever, if, if God forbid something happens and people separate or divorce, things like that, whatever, deal with that in a separate situation. But the fact that you get married, that's what it should have been and that's what it was intended that it should be. So people should be you know, confident that if you married someone, know that you married the right person. Now, there, it's a very important, you know, aspect when someone goes and tries to do something and they're not successful and they feel, you know what, 
maybe if I would have tried harder, I would have been able to do it. Maybe if I would have done this, people, you know, sort of live in the past. And it's besides the fact that it's being that it's unhealthy and you're not living in the future, you just keep on, you know, focusing on the past. There is a reason why things didn't go your way. And I'm speaking in a situation where people did normal hishtadlut. There, there is, you know, there, there's an entire section in this series, Bezad Hashem, that will speak about hishtadlut. But when you're doing the normal hishtadlut, you don't have to worry about should I have done this, should I have not. You don't live in you don't we don't live in the past. Now the way that I like to explain it is that people go and let's let's speak about it in dating. You know, somebody goes, a girl is going and she wants to date this person. And she dates this person and it's a no-go. She just wanted to go and continue. He said no. She dated another guy, said no. She dated another guy, said no. Dated another guy, said no. She's like, what's going on with it? God, please, what are you doing to me? He's like, come on, just give me one person. That's all I'm asking for. And what what the way that she should really look at it is that it's a hallway. And each door is another guy, another date. Uh, or vice versa, if you're a guy, you know, each, each door is another girl. And you're trying this door. And you're trying it, it's locked, it's not working. And then you go to another date, another person, and it's not working. You're trying to go another date, not working. You're getting very frustrated. And you're saying, what's going on, God? Why are you not helping me? And the answer is, God is helping you. God is locking all these doors because those are not intended for you. Those are not your soulmates. Those are not your zivug. What happens is, is God directly, directly down the hallway. Your zivug is at the end of the hallway. Some hallways are shorter, some hallways are longer, some hallways have hills, some hallways have ups and downs in different situations, but God is directing you to your hallway. And all you need to do is you keep on doing your hishadut. Don't start saying, okay, maybe I should have done this, and maybe I should have married this guy. No, no, no. You did your hishadut, you keep on going. You keep on going, God is directing you. He's closing all the doors, directing you to the person that you need to go and intend to marry. This also works upon us. People try business here. Business, this is not working. God is locking all doors. You know why? Because this is not what you're meant to be. This is not what you're meant to be doing. Close all the doors. You're going to be successful with this business. And God's closing all the doors and uh, directing you to the, to you know the, where you need to be. The Zidah of Rebbe gives a mashal, a parable, that there was uh, you know one day there was uh, the angel of dreams meets the angel of, of success. And he goes and says, you have no idea what I did last night. He says, right, last night, I went over to Mr. Reich. Mr. Reich, he declared bankruptcy. He lost everything. They took away his furniture. They took away his property. They took everything. He didn't even have a bed to sleep on. And he was finally, finally, he fell asleep. And I went over and I gave, the, gave him this, this amazing dream. And he gave him this dream that he got a loan and he invested it successfully. And because of that, he was able to get money and then he was able to pay, pay back his loan. And he built himself by the time, you know, the few minutes into the dream, he was a multimillionaire again. So the, the angel of success says, you know, that's so cruel. Like, why would you give this person a false hope, this dream? And the angel of the dreams goes over to the angel of success and says, what do you, you're the one to talk? He says, what do you do? You allow a person to be successful their entire life. They go and they make money and they go and they go on trips and they do everything. They have, you know, children, they, everything, whatever it is a person's desires and, and wants, they get. So the person feels respected. They feel, you know, they, they think that they're intelligent. They think that they, you know, they brought this all upon themselves. Gives us a lot, a lot of credit. They're on top of the world. And then says the angel of dreams to the angel of success. In a split second, everything goes away. This person dies and he sees that all of it, all of it is, is, is false. It's nothing. You know, you have people that go. They go through life with, you know, Mazal is just smiling. Everything they do, they're successful. And it's amazing. They should be. But they don't begin. They, you know, and, and you look at the flip side. You have people that unfortunately don't have this Mazal. And people think that this is successful and this is not successful. And really, it's all an illusion. Because when the time comes where you see what's real success and what's not success... There's only one thing that counts, and that's your effort. Let's call it hishtadlut, but it's really effort in, in a broad sense. That's your effort of what you did. The Gemara Psachim, page 58, goes and says that Rabbi Yossi, the son of Rav Yehoshua, passed away. And then he came back to life. He had a near-death experience. He went up into the next world and he came back. And, you know, they asked him, he says, what did you see in the next world? So he goes, and I saw, I saw an upside-down world. I saw the people that were respected in this world, they were held, you know, very low in the next world. The people that were not respected in this world, they were held very high in, in you know, in the next world. And the answer, and, you know, and, and, and that's really, the, the, you know what they answered him? The rabbi answered him, his father answered him, he says that you saw a clear world. You didn't see an upside-down world. That is exactly, you saw the clearest version of that world. Because, Everything that we crave and what we think as success, that's all an illusion. And you look at, let's say, for you know, example, a parent. A parent go and invests an incredible amount of effort on a certain child. 
and unfortunately the child did not succeed. It didn't work. The child barely advances and that, you know, it, it didn't work. The, the parent went and learned with him, learned with him t- day and night. They tried everything they could, but it wasn't successful. This world, they weren't successful. But in the next world, this parent will be rewarded as if this child was the most successful, right? Why? Because it counts about the effort that this parent did for the child. It doesn't, it doesn't matter about what you succeeded in your life, but it matters how much effort you put into it. So what we need to do is only our hishadut. We need to do our effort. After that, it's in God's hand. There was once a young man who wasn't so bright. And uh, he, when he was learning in, in, uh, in the yeshiva, he was only able to learn one palak of Gemah. That's all he was able to learn. So he went over to the stipler gun. He went over to him for chizuk. He says, you know, Rabbi, you got to help me. I'm learning for years. All I get is one parak. I can't get anything else. He wasn't smart. He couldn't, he, couldn't, he couldn't comprehend it. So the rabbi went and brought him to his bookshelf. And he has a set of books called Kehilot Yaakov. And, he's, and he, the rabbi goes to this student and he says, you know, I've been, I spent so many years writing these books on the entire Gemara, on the entire Shas. And you should know. The rabbi goes and tells the student that when you open your mouth and you learn Parak El when you learn this Parak of Gemara that you know God gets more pleasure out of you than he gets from a thousand like me. That's what this, this is the Gadol Adol, the stipler go, and this is what he tells this person. It's not about your success. It's about your effort. It's so difficult for you, says the, says the stipler. And you do it anyway, it doesn't matter how much ground you get covered. You're doing what are the best that you can, and that's all that God counts. There's nothing else that matters, only what you do, your hishtadlut. But now, when somebody goes, and they do their hishtadlut, let's say, or, or better yet, let's give an example like this. Let's say somebody made a wrong decision. Let's say somebody put themselves in a situation where they did something wrong. What they need to do at this point in time is to try to rectify it, like we said. And if you can't rectify it, that's all, you know, that, that you have to go and accept it, you know, with emunah and bitachon. What happens when you do something bad and you made your own error and then you go and you try to fix it? You did all your normal hishtadlut that you tried to do and it didn't work. You weren't able to reverse it. So what happened? That, that situation all of a sudden can turn into a mitzvah. You could turn it into a mitzvah because you're, you're utilizing your emunah and bitachon in God and saying, listen, God at, at one point wanted this to happen. But David Asher goes and brings down a story by the name of, of uh, Rabbi, by the name of Rabbi Chaim Zaid from El Tisrael. He tells an amazing story. He said that uh, this rabbi went and he married off his daughter. And he had a distant cousin by the name of Ashel that came to the wedding and he handed the rabbi an envelope, which is very common. You know, uh, you give a present uh, with some, uh, some cash. And the, the rabbi, after the wedding, opens up the envelope and he sees a very impressive sum. He sees 400 shekel inside. You know, for Israel, it's a very high sum. So he, you know, two weeks go by and this Rabbi Zaid goes and he gets a wedding invitation from his cousin, his distant cousin Asha, who's also, you know, now marrying off his daughter. So he, the rabbi's thing, he says, listen, I gotta go, I'm obviously gonna go to the wedding, it's my cousin, but I can't give him 400 shekel back, you know, so you know what, I'm gonna give him 500 shekel. So he puts 500 shekel in an envelope, writes uh, along a nice warm, uh, you know, note wishing Mazel Tov and uh, gives a blessing, and he puts it in his pocket. He goes and he travels to the wedding hall, and as Hashkacha, Divine Providence has it, he goes into a wrong wedding hall. He goes into this wrong wedding hall, and he sees, right when he walks in, he sees a, a you know, a box, and, and with a, with a little slot, you know, on top where you could put in envelopes for. So he goes into the wedding hall, he looks at the box, he sees everyone's putting in their money, he takes out his, his envelope, and he puts it into the box. He walks into the, into this wedding, and he starts looking around. He says, you know, I don't recognize anybody over here. Uh, you know, he was marrying, the, you know, his, his cousins were, were Temanim. They, you know, the Sfardi, the different look. He's like, there's nobody here. Everybody's here light skins. Like, what's going on over here? Until he's looking around, he realized he's at the wrong wedding. He went and he put, you know, money in a wedding that he doesn't know who it is. So, he, you know, he's, he's like an embarrassing situation. He has to get the money out now. So he he goes and he starts looking for the father of uh, you know either the chatan or the kala. So he finds the you know the father of the chatan and he taps him on the shoulder, and the chatan's father turns around and he sees Rabbi Zaid and he looks at him like in shock. And Rabbi Zaid was about to say something and all of a sudden he's like Rabbi Zaid, I can't believe you you came to my wedding. I can't believe you came to my son's wedding. What an honor! What a schut! That's unbelievable. Thank you so much. And he realized that he knew this, you know, this particular person. And he's like, you know, of course, you know, I, I you know, what he's supposed to say? No, I'm here by mistake. He, he's like, yeah, but, um, you know, I, I need to tell you something. Uh, the rabbi says, um, I, I put an envelope 
with money in the box at the door. And the father of the Khatan cut him off. He's like, you came and you gave me money? He's like, it's unbelievable. Thank you so much. It's unbelievable. He's so happy. He doesn't even let the rabbi finish. He takes the rabbi. He brings him into the middle and he starts dancing with him. He brings the Khatan in and they're all dancing together. The rabbi's thinking, he's like, what am I going to do now? He's like, no, that was a mistake. He's like, he can't go. And he says, give me the money back. So he goes and he leaves. He goes to the right wedding and he writes another check for 500 shekel. And then he puts that also in, you know, gives it to his, to his cousin. The next day, this father of the Chatan, his name was, uh, was Yosef, he calls the rabbi um, and he says, you know, because of what you did, I made peace with somebody that I haven't spoken to in five years. And he goes on and explains that he had a friend by the name of Rachamim and he was struggling financially and, when, and, he, and he helped him out. And when Rachamim, his friend, made a wedding for his son, this Yosef, this father of the Chatan, wasn't invited. He was very insulted. He says, wait a minute, I helped you so much. Where's your katatob? Where's your, you know, where, where's your gratitude? You don't invite me? The day after the wedding, Yosef saw his friend Rachamim walking down the street. And what happened? He's walking down and Rachamim goes and he crosses the other side. Deliberately, purposely. He sees him and he crosses the other side. And he's like, and he says, since then I haven't spoken to my friend. And I said, you know, what type of guy is that? I helped him out. I helped him. Not only does he not invite me to the wedding, but then he sees me, he crosses the street. So... I decided, you know what, you came to my wedding last night, and I didn't invite you. And not only that, you came, and you even brought a gift. So I decided, you know what, maybe I should have come to his wedding also, and not, uh, you know, not waited for an invitation. So I went, and I called, uh, you know, I, I called my friend, Achim, and, you know, I said, you know, I, uh, you know, I, you know, we want to make up. I uh, forgive you for, for, for not inviting me. And he says, wait, wait, he's like, what? He's like, you forgive me? He's like, he said, you know, Rahman goes, I'm, I'm angry at you. And he's like, why are you angry at me? You, you didn't invite me. He's like, what are you talking about? I didn't invite you to my, to my son. Of course I invited you to the wedding. I sent you the invitation. And they started talking, you know, talking. Turns out that Rahman actually sent an invitation to Yosef, but, but it was lost in the mail. And because it was lost in the mail, each thought that the other one was arguing and they had, uh, you know, a, uh, you know, a sort of a spat because of that and they went into a, a little bit of a, of a feud. So, he go, this is what Yosef is telling this Rabbi Zaid. And he says, you know, you know, Rabbi, I know this is a big schut, a big, uh, you know, it's an etratzon, it's a time of, of mercy from, from heaven. I want to know, please, because you instigated this, can you please give me a blessing? I have a very old, you know, uh, my oldest son is not married. Can you give me a blessing that my oldest son should get married? So, of course, the rabbi says, yes, it is, you did something amazing, you made shalom, you made peace, it's a very big bracha. And he gave him, a, a, you know, a blessing also that this oldest son should get married. A short while later, a few days actually, a few days later, Rabbi Zid is walking down the street and all of a sudden he hears uh, a man call his name. He turns around and who was it? It was none other than Rachamim. It was Yosef's friend. And he goes and he says to him, he says, I want to thank you, Rabbi. He says, you know, my friend Yosef told me on what you did and what instigated in him to call and to sort of make peace again. He says, I, I really want to thank you. You know, it was weighing heavily on my mind and now we're all good. And he says, you know, Rabbi, because you did so much, can you do me a favor? Can you give me a blessing? He says, I have a daughter that she's getting older and she's not married yet. Can you please give me a blessing that she should, you know, she should get married? And he stops for a second. And all of a sudden the puzzles click. A few days go by. He's like, wait a minute. He says, Yosef has an older son that's not married. Rachamim has an older daughter that's not married. He goes and he makes the shiduch and they end up getting married. And not only they end up getting married, he ends up getting shatchanes gelt. He ends up getting shatchan money. And he said that money made up for what he lost plus more. So what do we see over here? We see over here that even when you make a mistake in your life, even when you're making, Rabbi Zayn made a mistake, he wasn't supposed to be there. Even that, there's a heavenly hand guiding you. It was an honest mistake. It wasn't something that, uh, that, you know, he did on purpose. So even when you make an, when you make a problem, there's God is, is overseeing everything. And this leads us to the final point. And the final point is, what about when you do a sin? If you do a sin, can you say that, oh, God wanted you to, you to do a sin? And again, I've spoken about this before, and it's very, very important uh, you know, to, to say this again, because unfortunately there are people out there that say that, yes, if you sinned, God wanted you to sin. That is incorrect. God does not want you to sin. Why is that incorrect? Because if you think that God wanted you to sin, so then how do you do tshuva? In order to do tshuva, you have to regret. How can you regret something that's divine oriented or, or it's, it's divine ordained, comes from heaven? It wasn't my fault. What am I going to regret something that God did? God wanted me to do this. So people, unfortunately, twist their minds and they say, ah, you know what? God wanted me to do this. In. And it's a, they make it, so they end up not doing tshuva. It's a satan playing, you know, tricks on their head saying that, yeah, God wants you to do it. 
No. God did not want you to do the sin. And the, if you did and you made the sin, you have to now and do tshuva. And it's very interesting. Because where does the Rambam speak about the aspect of free will? He speaks about in Hilchot Tshuva. He speaks about it in the laws of repentance. That's where he speaks about free will. So if somebody goes and does something wrong out of their own free will, it's not because God wanted it. It's because you made a mistake. So you have to go and you have to, you know, fix it. You have to do tshuva. So what do we see over here? That if somebody makes mistakes, then we all make mistakes. We're all human. We have to try to fix it. That's step number one. So that either could be physically or you could do tshuva if it was spiritually. If we did everything that we could do, and that's it, there's nothing else that we could, um, you know, do, then, then it comes the level of acceptance. This is what God wanted. God orchestrated it. And we take, we accept this with the emunah and, and, and bitachon. And you should also know that we're never put in a situation that you can't pass, that you can't pass a test. Don't make yourself in a situation that you're going to automatically fail. God doesn't put you in a situation that you can't pass, but you yourself can make yourself, your, your, you know, worse and worse for you. And the easiest example that I could probably tell you is people that go and they're down and, Again, it's very normal for everybody to have down days and to have up days. Very, very normal. But there are certain times where people go and they wallow in their own misery. They, you know, God, you're orchestrated, okay, you're going to have a certain, you know, down day. And instead of getting up again, you know, the next day or a few hours later, they keep on wallowing more and more. No, I don't want therapy. No, I don't want to do this. No, I don't want to take medication. No, I don't want to fix it. I don't all want to wallow. So you have to be careful. Is that something that God wanted it to happen, or is it something that you brought upon yourself? So let's try to do a, a quick recap, and then we'll open up for some questions. So number one is that you bring suffering upon yourself on purpose. On purpose, this you should not do. You shouldn't bring suffering upon yourself. Again, there are certain you know situation where certain tikkunim, there's certain kabbalot, that you deal with a rabbi, a competent rabbi, halachic, you know, uh, um, or you know, normal Orthodox rabbi, and they will guide you on how and what to do with certain tikkunim if that should be necessary. But what happens if you do by mistake? So if you do by mistake, the formula is very simple. If you, God forbid, do a, do a mistake, you have to go and try to fix that mistake. If it's not possible to fix it, then you go and you accept it, and this is you know this is from God. Obviously, I oversimplified it tremendously. There's a lot of other aspects that are involved in it, and that's when you go and you speak to the rabbi. Say, what I, what should I do in this in this scenario? But one of the big big problems upon you know why why this topic is so important, and why this is something that you really have to like let it sink in, is that people live in their mistakes, especially in their past. People live in their past, and they can't grow if you're still you can't get out of something if you're still in the hole. You can't you know if you're not climbing and you're just like, you know, scraping around the dirt around the hole and just making the hole bigger, you're not going to be able to get out. You have to, you know, in, in many times in life, you have to go and the past is the past and now I'm going to go and I'm going to change who I am. If you go and you define yourself as a bad person, you're not going and changing. You're, you're defining of who you are. We have to go, yes, we may have made a mistake. We have to go and try to fix it, whether it's shuva, whether it's physically. If we can't, you move on. You move on. It's acceptance. It's from God and this is what God wanted for, you know, for, for, for you whether it's your fault, whether it's not, there's nothing more that you could do. All God wants is you to do your hishtaldut. Whether it's before there or after there. That's all that you need to do. We didn't answer one question. And that we'll have to leave to next week. Because this week and next week is a very closely related topic. And the question was, just so that we'll all put, you, know, put your, uh, you know, just so you have an understanding. That at one point it says that everything is from God. We quoted a Gemara from Kulin, page 7b, that you don't even hurt your finger unless you go and it's decreed. Another part, you have to go to Shatim Olivna So we're going to have to, you know, explain that nuance. We, we sort of gave a part of answer, but with Bezat Hashem, we'll give a full answer, Bezat Hashem, uh, next week. And with that, we'll open up with, uh, with any questions. So let's see the chat. Okay. Um, can you please repeat uh, the source of the Gemara? So the Gemara in Chulim, page 7b, says that a person doesn't go and hurt their finger below in this world unless it was decreed from, from up above. Okay, uh, question, next question. How do we know at which point our hishtadlut was enough and we should just accept our situation? That's an excellent question. The question is, is how much hishtadlut do we need to make? That question is, I have a whole part of a series in that, of how much hishtadlut a person needs to do. That is not something that I could answer off, you know, you know, just like a, um, the top of the head, but I'll give you, because when, when people ask questions, I like to at least give a partial answer. So the partial answer is like this. Your hishtadlut has to be consistent across the board. So, 
everybody has, Hishadlut is something that is proportional. It depends. You know, if you go and you do a certain amount of Hishadlut for Panasa, you should do that similar amount of Hishadlut for dating, the similar Hishadlut for anything, any other business or any other purchase or whatever it is that you make. It has to be across the board. And what I say by Hishadlut is proportional is that everybody has to do a different level of Hishadlut. It depends on your level of Emunah. You can't go and start convincing yourself, yeah, I have Emunah. You know, my Chatan is going to knock on the door and he's going to come in, which really you don't have that. You have to be consistent. You have to be true to your level. So whatever you do, Hishadlut, and everywhere else, that's where you do Hishadlut across the board. That, uh, you know, uh, you know, amount or, or like area. Again, that's a very brief answer. We really have to go through it in depth. But Bezat Hashem will speak about it more in depth when we, sp- when we get to that topic. Okay. Here's another uh, question. Do people with mental illness or personality disorders have Bechira? Okay, so that's a very good... Uh, bechira is free will. So this is a very, very important question. Do people um, with issues have free will? So we know that the, the Gemara classifies someone as, let's say, a, a Shotez, somebody that's the mind is not there. The mind is not there. Now, I don't want to give a a um, a scientific you know terminology because I don't want to pinpoint one. But let's say somebody is not there. Somebody is not there. I get you know what that means is at different levels. They're not liable. So you look at somebody that's mentally deficient, um, like severely. They don't have the free will and they don't get punished for things that they're doing. There, there's no there's no free will that they have. However. The, you know, personality disorders is, is a wide range. There, there are personality disorders, you know, like think about somebody with multiple personality disorders. So one, one of him could be, uh, tzaddik, another one could be a, you know, a serial killer, right? you know, and the tzaddik is trying to make the serial killer, you know, you know, so people, obviously that's not someone in the right mind. So that type of situations, we're not talking about that the free will is very limited, if any. We're talking about normal, you know, people that have either depression, anxiety, um, you know, mental illness, you know, that even bipolar in certain, you know, certain scenarios. So there's certain mental, you know, illnesses that you do have free will. And there's certain mental illnesses that, you know, it's beyond, you know, anything. There's, there's, there's very obviously, you know, no, no, uh, no free will there. And obviously in that situation, they don't get punished for anything. Okay. Next question. Okay. I think I've heard from another class of yours that if someone has complete emunah on something, then Hashem makes it happen or not happen based on that individual's emunah and what he is having emunah about. What what then is the line of emunah and negligence? So I am not fully understanding that question. If that question means that, let's say somebody... Um, oh, maybe I do understand it. If, let's say, somebody has complete emunah that something is supposed to happen, and uh, they, I think the example that I mentioned once before was somebody when I went over to the rabbi and says, Rabbi, can you give me a blessing that I will win the lottery? And the rabbi says, if you really have a munah bitachon that you will win the lottery, then you'll win the lottery. So he says, fine, he's working himself, so I'm going to win the lottery, I'm going to win the lottery, I'm going to win the lottery, it's mine, I can see the money already. He goes and he buys a lottery for $20 million. And he goes to the rabbi and he says, Rabbi, this is the winning ticket, I won the lottery, $20 million. And the rabbi says, you, you got it? He's like, you know what? Uh, when's the drawing? And the, and the, the guy says, it's, the drawing is tomorrow. So the rabbi says, listen, $20 million, I'll tell you what, I'll give you 10, I have some donors, I'll give you $10 million today for that. Would you do it? And the guy's thinking, it's like $20 million, 10, he's like, you got a deal. Yeah, $10 million today. So the rabbi goes and says, you see, you didn't have Imunah. You say that you have Imunah, because if you had Imunah, who in the right mind will say, yeah, I'll sell my ticket for $20 million for $10 million when I can win 10, 20 million the next day? Really, you are saying it, but you didn't really, you know, feel it. So there is an aspect that where if you go and you really have Imunah, that will come. That's a high level of Imunah that even if, you know, you decide you want a gold watch, somebody will come knocking on your door and give you a gold watch. Then yes, that's a level of Imunah that you could have very, very hard to reach, but it's a level that you could, uh, um, that you could achieve. How do you deal with that in regards to negligence? So this is where I'm not sure where the connection is. But if the connection is that, let's say you wanted to go and, you know what, I'm going to confuse you. I'm going to confuse, what I'm about to say is going to be very confusing. Let's leave it at that. That's what Emunah, that's what, when I said about having Emunah, you could have everything, that's that. When I'm speaking about negligence is that we're not talking about the aspect of you doing something that is, um, you know, in the, in the line of having emunah, it's just you being negligent. If you're being negligent, it's very different by you having emunah and what you need to, what you need to do. You know, we could throw a curveball into here and say, oh, you have emunah and your negligence, but let's not get into that because I'm not sure where, where your question is. Okay. Um, 
Here's another good question. What's the ratio of Hishtadlut to Emuna? So again, this is something that we'll, we'll have to discuss in our, um, in our class on, on Hishtadlut, but it's proportional. It depends on each person is different. It depends on your level of Emuna. Okay, next question. Uh, do you have any advice for someone who did tshuva on past mistakes and moved on? However, certain reminders pop up every now and then, which reminds them of their mistakes. Okay, so if if somebody does, there's two aspects to think about over here. When someone does tshuva one year, should they do tshuva again the next year? So let's say they did a certain sin in I don't know 2015. Should they st- and they did tshuva that Yom Kippur and everything? Well, you know, should they still do tshuva the following years? So you look at uh, Rabbi Yonah, you look at the, you know a lot of uh, you know the the discussion of tshuva. It's not a bad thing that you could keep on doing the same tshuva. You could keep on repeating that same tshuva, meaning that you could still have regret for it. Obviously, you still confess it to God and you still vow never to do this again. You still have that aspect of tshuva constantly. Why? Because when you do that, when you're when you're doing that aspect of tshuva constantly, you're not going to do any sin. Because it's something that it's in your mind. It's like, you know, like, it's fresh in your memory. The example that I like to give is, um, you know, you have a, you know, you have a friend of mine, you know, say, maybe I should have said as a friend of mine, um, that drinks tequila, let's say. Um, and actually I have a few friends that drinks tequila. Um, and if that person's gonna end up listening to this share, it's not you. It's not who you think. It's somebody else. It really is. He drinks the, he drinks tequila and then he, tequila does crazy stuff to him. And, um, and then he, and then he's like, oh, now I remember why I don't drink tequila anymore. And a few years go by and he's like, tequila? Yeah, I'll have some tequila. And he drinks it and be like, and then like the next day he's like, now, now I remember why I don't drink tequila anymore. A few years go by, a few months go by and he says, hey, anybody want tequila? Even though he vowed that he's never going to do tequila again. Why? Because last time he did tequila, he was, uh, singing the, the Macarena, whatever it is, you know, with the people in the corner. He's like, I'm not going to do it anymore. But then you forget. And then you do it again. And then you forget and you do it again. And you forget you do it again. But if somebody constantly remembers, you know what, tequila is not good for me. Tequila is not good for me. The next time someone says tequila, I'd be like, no, no, no. You know, that's not for me. So when someone does tshuva constantly, even from past sins, it, it's very beneficial. Because the next time that God forbid that happens, they'll be like, no, 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 <laughs> not for me. You know, I, I, I remember what I went through. However, there's also a fine line where somebody goes and they can't move on. You know, brings them to a point of depression. It brings them to a point they can't move on. That's something that um, that that you know you should really speak to a rabbi and how to go and 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 you know move on for that. Because not always is it healthy to always live in your past sins if it's going to bring you down and you're not going to be able to grow from it. Sometimes it's good to you know forget about it and move on as long as you did the proper tshuva. And other times it's beneficial to go and to be able to you know constantly you know have that in your mind so that you won't fall again. Okay, um, next question. Is too much hishtadlut a lack of emuna? So again, that's, uh, that's a, that depends on your proportion and where you stand. So these are a lot of questions that are all based on hishtadlut. So we'll have to speak about it when we get to that. Okay, next, we have two questions in one. Almost everyone I know with mental illness, it's not their fault. I have found a few, but not most. So I don't think most of them can be held accountable. That's question number one. Question, next question is, you say someone can cause something bad to happen to them, but what about the people who are careless? Okay, so let's go one question at a time. So, yes, um, you know, I, you know I, I've dealt with people with, with mental you know, illnesses and things like that, and I would also say that the majority that I dealt with them were not their fault, but that's just, I don't know what you know, volume you, know, you can make an actual um, you know, statistic about. But... What, what Robert Victor Miller was explaining when he said that even those can cause it, that yes, they have a baseline of a mental illness. That's them, that's from God. But the fact that they could make it worse, that's on, that could be on them, depending on the level of what was the creator and what was not. So yes, there is sometimes a chemical imbalance. We can't talk about chemical imbalance. There's certain things that are out of control. But there's certain scenarios that even when you have mental illness, and it is from God, you could take that and bring it to a lower level and make it worse. And you could bring it to a higher level and fix it. So there is a level, even in that, that you have free will, that you have the ability to fix, and you have the ability, unfortunately, not to fix. Um... The next question that was asked, I'm not following it, that if somebody causes something bad to happen, and, you know, and then there's this carelessness, it, it could be the same, you know, something it could be on purpose, and carelessness is, is you know, by mistake. If, if I'm not, maybe I'm not getting the question, so feel free to, to rewrite that and, and explain, elaborate a little bit more. Okay, next question. Um, oh, I lost my spot over here. Oh, if someone has a munad that he won't get, okay, I, didn't, that, I don't think that was a question. Next. 
If someone tries to do harm, but the bad thing still doesn't happen, what determines that? Okay, so that's a very good question. So you have people, um, and I don't want to take us down a wrong path, who attempted suicide, let's say, and they weren't successful. So what, is, what does that mean? That is a long, long discussion on, you know, let's say you are negligent. Let's say you jumped out of an airplane with, a, uh, with an umbrella and somehow there was a wind and the wind took you and guided you. In those situations, when you put yourself in a, in a, in a dangerous situation and you get saved out of that, you, you unfortunately lose your merits. You lose schutim. You lose your, your schutim that you have built up. God says, okay, I'm going to save you, but you're gonna, it's going to cost you. Spiritually, it's going to cost you from your merits. Okay, next. Um, when was your emunah tested and how did you overcome your challenge? I think that's a basically a general uh, question that I guess everybody can uh, think about in themselves. Okay, next one. I understand that someone with mental illness may not be responsible for having it, but they, are they held accountable for their actions if they hurt other people physically, verbally, or not? So that's a very broad question. If somebody has a mental illness and then they cause problems to other people, um, are they held responsible for that? So it depends if they're, you know, if it was on purpose, if it was not. If you talk, if you're dealing with somebody with severe mental deficiencies and they can't, you know, think for themselves, they can't talk themselves and they accidentally hit somebody, obviously they're not held accountable. But if somebody, you know, put themselves in a situation and they made themselves in a bad situation and then they hurt other people, then obviously they're held accountable. You know, but again, only this is something that only God could go and, and answer and God goes and judges everybody accordingly. Okay. Um, there was, I think, one final question where I didn't, uh, you know, uh, if there's any other questions, please, uh, here we have, okay, another question, uh, slightly off topic, but how does emunah relate to these corona times? Meaning, is one allowed to go public areas such as simcha, school, etc.? So, um, the, the straightforward answer is you gotta follow the, the medical professionals and, you know, the government of what they say to do. I know there's a ton of conspiracies going around and it's really the 5G. I don't even want to get started with this. I'm going to get really angry. Um, and, and not for the probably the reason that you think, uh, you know, it's really China, it's really USA, it's really Israel, whatever it is, it's causing these problems. And what should you do? Um, you should follow the guidelines. You should follow the guidelines by the healthcare professionals. You should follow the guidelines of the rabbi. So if they open up schools, then, you know, and, and you feel like it's okay for you to go to school, then, then you should go to school. Um, obviously, some people are more sensitive, have a weaker immune system, uh, and are more prone to more problems than obviously speak to your, to your doctor to make sure that it's, it's okay. Cause sometimes they'll open up for the general public, but let's say for certain people, they say, no, you know what? For you, it's better that you still stay and you shouldn't do that. So you have to follow medical advice. You have to, you know, uh, you know, follow the guidelines of what the government says and follow the guidelines of what your doctor says. And that goes for going to simchas and going to uh, school, going to minyan and going to all these things. You have to follow um, the, 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 the following, you know, the, the guidelines. And if something happens, you know, then you did what you need to do. That's your hishtadut that you need to do. Next question, is there a framework for what to do when medical people are not being smart? Yes, find other medical people. That are smart. <laughs> um, for an example, would be that the Surgeon General said no mass. That's a good. That's a good thing. That's why you know I, I was thinking if I should say that um, follow the government because the government doesn't know what they're talking about or they have an agenda behind it. Don't wear masks because we need the mask. Okay, now wear the mask doesn't help. Okay, now don't wear the mask, but wear you know only wear this type of mask and don't wear that type of mask. So yeah, there's a lot of craziness going around now, um, and I don't think there's one right answer. Uh, you know, for it, you have to be smart and. You know, if you were to ask me, yes, you should be wearing masks. You know, what, you, I, is there a way that masks can make you sicker? I don't think so. Uh, again, so, but, you, you know, maybe technically, you know, the germs can get stuck over there and you're constantly inhaling it. Again, there's always something, but generally that's what you, you need to do. Um, and if you did what you need to do and you still got it, then you know that's from, uh, that, that is from God. That's their Heshadlut. Next question is, so why is there that mental, why is there mental illness? What was God's purpose? Uh, I never wish on any, anybody, especially affects him or not. So that's a very good question. What is the purpose of mental illness? So uh, the, it's really a question of why is there, uh, you know, purpose of anything, the um, of any suffering, of any problems, uh, better yet. So when you look at, let's say, people, you know, let's say that came out that are severe mental deficiencies, um, and they come into this world, like, why are they here if there's no free will? Why is they here if there's nothing that, 
you know, they can gain from it. And there are, it's only God's calculation, but it's, there's a reason why they're put in this world without having the capabilities of having all their full, you know, faculties working to the maximum capacity that everybody else, uh, you know, does have. And many times it's because they are much righteous souls and they don't need, meaning that they, the reason why we're here now is that we have something to fix. We have something that we need to do. So, you have righteous soul that have very little things to do. So if they have very little things to do, God puts them in this world in a sense that they are, um, they, they, they have mental deficiencies that they can't control certain things and they, they're not held responsible for those things. So they're not gonna, they're not gonna get punished for it. They only need to be a certain, you know, let's think about people with, um, let's say for example, Down syndrome. Down syndrome, they don't have free will. They don't have, for, at least for the majority of the part, they don't have so much of say. So what is their, their purpose? And th- there's a reason why they get it. Generally speaking, there, there are big rabbis, Gedolim, that when they were, when somebody like that walked into the room, they stood up. Why? Because that's a holy soul. That's a holy soul that only has very little left to fix. Now, we don't know what, when, where, and how. We're not God's accountant and we don't know, but God did it for a reason and there's a purpose. And just like every single one of us has their own issues that, that, that we go, we go through, whether it's, you know, mental issues, whether it's physical issues, whether it's financial issues, whether it's marriage issues, whether it's dating issues, whether it's children, whatever it is, we have a set of problems that God gave to every single one of us. And because of that, we have to deal with it. We have to try to get out of it. We should. You have marriage issues, you should try to therapy. You should try to speak to somebody. You, should, you, know, you have dating issues, so try to speak to somebody. You have medical, yeah, medical issues, you should go to a doctor. So there is things that you should do. After that, you should know that everything is from uh, God. Okay, it seems like one uh, final question. Do people with mental illness have a uh, zivug? Uh, depends how severely. It's, it's possible, yes, and it's possible or not. Not everybody comes to this world with a zivug, but the majority of people do. So if you're talking about severe, severe mental illness, and if there's no chance of them ever um, getting married, it's still possible that they have a zivug over here, but th- their purpose was never to get married. Uh, but in general, people have come down with their zivug, um, and I'm speaking about, I'm not talking about severe, severe mental illness where you have absolutely no free will. In general, you have, you come down with a zivug and you come ha- down with the ability to cope with it and ability to overcome it to some extent. But again, I'm not God's accountant. All, only God knows. Only God has the calculations. All we need to do is instead of trying to be God's accountant and figuring out what, when, where, and how, we have to do what we need to do. And after that, we accept it and we thank God for the problems that He uh, gave us. Okay. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.